Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. What I'd like you to do, though, to begin our message is to set up what we need to look at together in Philippians chapter 3. I'd like you to stand together with me, and uh, we're going to read together a declaration from Hebrews chapter 12. So if we can look at that there. So I want you to focus on this passage because this really describes the pathway that Jesus set for all of us. And that's the pathway that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 3. So this is really the backdrop of this passage. So Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read it out loud together, okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. I want you to focus again, uh, before we go on to that last part, I want you to focus again on the phrase that says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This morning, as we look at Philippians 3 in just a moment, all of us carry a cross. Uh, Today, actually, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we've got brothers and sisters in Christ across the world that when they talk about a cross, that literally means to their death. But all of us carry a cross of some kind. I mean, Jesus said we have to pick up our cross and follow Him. And there's a death process that we all go through. But the only thing that makes, it, makes any sense of, out of what we face is to follow Jesus and to follow the joy that was set before him. That's the only thing that really gives us the endurance to go on. And so, Emily, we can go to that last part of this passage. Let's read this together. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So I'd like to ask you to put your hands out in front of you, and we're just going to pray. We're going to pray right now that the Lord will come against any weariness, that the Lord would come against any faint-heartedness, anywhere where we're tired, and it's hard to put one foot in front of the other. Lord, just right now release a fresh dose of strength. And anywhere that we've grown faint-hearted, where it's fearful to go on because we just, we're not sure about the future. Right now we pray that you would replace fear with peace and with joy. And just like Jesus, give us the ability to endure And give us clear eyes so we can see you and see the joy that's set before us. And we pray that you would release a new portion, a fresh portion of strength and endurance this morning. 
We ask in your name. Amen. So now we want to turn to Philippians chapter 3. You may be seated. And I'll just read this. We won't read it out loud together, but I'd like you to follow along. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to read those two verses again. I think we've probably heard them repeatedly over the years if we've been a Christian for a very long time. But they are such powerful words. I count, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Pretty clear message in Philippians chapter 3 is that everything is about Jesus being the center. Right there. Right in our focus. Kind of like the binoculars or the telescope that brings everything into view. He's the center. He is the focus of everything. And when we look at everything through Him, it's, it filters everything. And by looking at everything through Him, I think we would all agree that it's the only way that any of what we face makes any kind of sense. Whether it's in the political realm, whether it's in our jobs, whether it's in our families, in any situation, the only thing that brings any of that stuff into view, into proper focus, and gives any kind of sense of what this is about is to filter it through him. Jesus becomes the center of all of it because Paul makes it really clear in this passage. He repeats it in Colossians. It's the message he repeats constantly to all the churches that he had responsibility for. And I remind you that when Paul wrote these words, he's chained to a Roman guard. And he's saying, look, the only thing that makes Let's, let's face it, there were days that Paul woke up and said, oh man, I, I don't want another day of being chained to a guard. 
I think it's a little bit easy for us to look back at these verses and just kind of get this idea that James was, I mean, that Paul was like such a super duper, on fire, full of joy Christian. I mean, how many of you would agree that he probably had his days where he's like, this really sucks? I mean, we complain because it's getting cold or there's a bunch of leaves on the porch. I mean, there were days that he probably didn't have a great day. But the thing that always brought him back to the place that anything that was going on made sense was to bring Christ into perspective. Anybody remember the song, I think Fernando Ortega made it famous first and then Jeremy Camp sang it? It's the song, Give Me Jesus. I just want to remind you of the words in some of the verses, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. When I'm alone, when I'm alone, or when, oh, just when I'm alone, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And when I've come to die, oh, when I've come to die, give me Jesus. I mean, Paul speaks about the resurrection, and if the resurrection didn't happen, death is, is bad enough to think about. I know that as I get older and as I talk to older people, the, as, as, as the reality of death gets closer and closer, it's not something that you think about and go, oh, wow. I'm really excited. I'm going to die pretty soon. Now, the only thing that brings that into perspective is what happens when I die. And what happens when I die is changed because of the resurrection. So when it comes to thinking about the mortality of our life, the only thing that makes any sense out of it is give me Jesus. And so I want to take you back through these verses So if we can put the Philippians passage back up, up, Emily, and it's verse 1. Finally, brothers, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write these same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. Paul says later in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Obviously, the theme of joy is a big deal. And after all the things that he's talked about as he's dealing with the people that are trying to bring down the message, he said, forget those guys. Just turn your focus and rejoice in the Lord. And in this passage, in these 11 verses, I want to give you some words, I think, that are major themes that you can pull right out of this this passage that I think we can just pull out of the passage and, and put right into our lives. The first one is joy. Jesus is the source of joy that is indestructible and it cannot be taken away. You know how we know that? Do we know it by experience? How many of you have had joy? How many of you have joy right now? (laughs) How many of you have had joy and then got a bill in the mail that took your joy away? How many of you have had joy and had the car stall and your joy disappeared? 
How many of you have had joy and realized that it was daylight, the daylight savings time came to an end and you didn't get your extra hour of sleep and you lost your joy? There's a lot of things that come against us that cause us to lose our joy. But here's the message that comes from the one that we turn our focus to. Jesus said to the disciples in John 16, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and catch this, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. And when anyone or anything begins to steal our joy, we turn to Jesus. God's words over us. We, we, we think about those that are joyful in the faith. And so I would say to you that if you have a hard time holding on to joy, I would encourage you, first of all, go back and spend more time in the Word. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to go back to whatever notes you have when you were the most joyful and read them again. Don't read the notes that made you discouraged because they're not going to bring you joy. And the last thing I would say is if you're with people that are not very joyful, then you need to counter that and find some way to cancel that negativity by hanging out with people that are joyful. I mean, I think there is enough static in the atmosphere that there is not enough time left in our lives to spend time with people that are not joyful. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, who wants to hang around with people that look like they've just sucked on a pickle all the time and, and, and just try to be the one to bring them up? I mean, I realize that's some people's calling, but I'm, some days I don't have enough joy to want to be the one to bring that person up. And so we need to hang around with people that bring us joy. I guess that means we also need to try to be a people that bring joy. So the first word is joy. The second thing that Jesus is the source of is security. He's the source of our security because of the change that occurs in our hearts through Him. So look again at verses 2 and 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for the ones that mutilate the flesh. For we are His circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. I'm sure that Paul was thinking about the security that was described in Ezekiel when it says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You all realize Paul makes it very, very clear. We can't have what we have unless the Spirit of God has quickened it to us. And no one can take away, just as no one can take away your joy, no one can take away the security of what God has done in your heart. For all of us, and I'm trusting it's all of us here this morning, whatever the Holy Spirit has done in you, to give you the assurance that you are a believer. No one, no one can take that from you. They can stand in front of you and badger you and tell you the day you die, but no one can take it from you because the Holy Spirit is the one that secures it. No one can take away what God has done in your heart. The Heidelberg Catechism begins with the question, what is your only comfort in life and death? 
Or what is your only security in life and death? The comfort, the security that comes or you need comes from, the answer is, because I belong to Jesus. The German word, because I remind you the Heidelberg Catechism was written in Germany, the German word translated as comfort is the word trust or trost, T-R-O-S-T. And it's also translated as confidence. What is your only confidence in life and death? So let me give you a picture of something. I just saw a a photo the other day of a, a group of people in California that were picketing. And let me ask you what this does for your confidence. Try to imagine this photo. I should have gotten a hold of it and put it up on the screen, but just try to imagine this photo. There was a group of people picketing and the sign said, we don't want your God in California. Keep your God out of California. Now, if you were the one coming upon that scene of people, what would that do to your confidence? Would it fire you up? Would it make you afraid? Would it make you discouraged? There are all sorts of things that are coming our way. Don't you agree? They're trying to come against our confidence. And so what we have to come back to once again is with all the the static and all the things that are going on in the atmosphere, the only thing that's going to help us stay on on the tight and narrow road is to make sure that we keep our eyes on Jesus. Verses 4-7. through seven. Though I have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul then lists this whole list of things. And Paul's not list, making this list in order to try to impress the rest of us with how spiritual he is and how many credentials he has. And please understand what I'm going to say in just a moment because I believe in education. And we have more PhDs per capita probably than any church on Long Island. But what Paul is basically saying is he's our source of identity. It isn't this list of credentials. It isn't my bachelor's degree. It isn't my GED. It isn't my master's degree. It isn't my PhD. It isn't the second PhD I got. It isn't the third or the fourth or the fifth. If you think about it this way, you know, I remember when, we, when I worked in banking for 10 years, one of the things in banking you talk about all the time are credits and debits. And at the end of the day, as a bank teller, you've got to make sure your debits and credits all match up because if you're short, that's not a good thing. It's a good way to lose a job. It's actually not good to be over either because you want to balance. You want the credits and the debits to balance. But what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter how many things I have on what I think is the credit side. All the things. I could have five PhDs. But when it comes to my need for Jesus, all of those PhDs mean nothing. And he basically is saying, it doesn't, you know, my my source of identity isn't something I hang on to. I'm I'm not hanging on to all those PhDs. I'm not hanging on to that list of things that give me privilege. Because really, 
at the end of the day, all of those things are a debit. Are debits. And they don't provide real security because the only thing that gives me the security that I have nothing to worry about is the one that lands on the debit side of my life and all of a sudden brings everything into perspective. He's only saying that even though I have an inside track and all the necessary privileges, all of those pale in comparison to all that I've gained in Christ. I thought I really had something. That's why he was going around persecuting the church. Why do you need that? We have our heritage. And not only do we have our heritage, look at all the list of things that I can show you that prove how important our heritage is. And he's basically saying, it doesn't really matter what you have. And he's saying that if I had five PhDs, it would not matter to me. Because what I realized is that when Jesus came into focus, I didn't need any one of those PhDs. Now, I'm not saying don't get PhDs, right? And I'm not saying to go, that we shouldn't go after those things. But those have nothing in comparison to the identity that we have in Jesus. Because everything we gain from those is just rubbish. But what I gain from Christ is everything and more. And then lastly, verses 8-11. through 11, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes from faith. And then notice this in particular. And that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. He's the source of our joy. He's the source of our security. He's the source of our identity. And finally, He's the source of our power. I can do all things, Paul says, through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. He's the one that gives me all the power that I need to face the difficulty that I face in this world. Verses 10-11 through 11 mean whether it's literal persecution or whether it's embracing the truth of dying, dying in our own lives and yielding our lives to Him for things that we would rather have instead. It's the only way we can experience the power, the only power that can su- sustain us. It's the power that releases heaven to earth and makes ways where there is no way. It's the only thing that... Th- th- this verse, to me is what, the Lord, what makes sense out of the Lord's Prayer, your will on earth as it is in heaven. And if we experience His will on earth as it is in heaven, we're experiencing this power. And the only way it's possible that His will is on earth as it is in heaven is if the resurrection happened. If Jesus stayed in the grave, we don't have this power. Because what's the one thing that's left for all of us to overcome We can overcome not having enough money. We can overcome not having enough education. We can overcome difficulties with our kids. We can overcome uh, the results of a superstorm like we had seven years ago at this time. You realize we didn't have power in this church seven years ago today. We can overcome all of that, but there's one thing none of us can overcome. We can't overcome death. 
We're all going to die. We're all going to die. But it's because of this message, the power of the resurrection, that death is not the end of the story. I don't know about you, but I'm really happy about that. And the reality of, the, of this passage that Paul is communicating to us very clearly is that the power of the resurrection becomes everything. It's what gives us joy. It's what gives us identity. It's what gives us security because it makes everything different. And when we start praying for your will on earth as it is in heaven, it's possible because of the resurrection. Otherwise, we can't, reach, we can't bring heaven to earth because Jesus is the one that broke the barrier when the, the curtain in the temple was torn and the way was made clear for us to experience being in His presence. It means to know the power of the resurrection. It's the guarantee of the importance of our life. It's the guarantee of immortality and the life to come. It's the guarantee that in life and in death and beyond the death, the presence of Jesus is always with us. I was just thinking, I think all of you, a lot of you probably had this experience. If you've ever been around someone that's closer to their death, it's amazing how true this is in terms of the, uh, experiencing the presence of Jesus even as they're crossing the barrier from this life to eternal life forever. Um, I wish I was there. But I was just thinking the other day about my description of my dad describing his father, my grandfather. My grandfather was, was a saint beyond saints. He knew Jesus. And he laid on the bed his last days. My dad and his brother and sisters were singing hymns. And they had stopped. And they had stopped singing. And my grandfather says, oh, you're all still singing. And they all looked at one another and said, no, Dad, we're not singing. He says, sure you are. I can hear the singing. I can hear the singing. That's the power of the resurrection. That's when all of a sudden, 98 years of life that he had all come into perspective. And that's what we celebrate when we celebrate the fellowship of Jesus. And that's what we all have the privilege of declaring when we say, even when I die, give me Jesus. We may not feel like it today, but the reality of what Paul was saying is that one day, because the Spirit has put, given us a relationship with Jesus Christ, one day we are all going to be united with Jesus for eternity. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that really matters. What I'd like to do to finish this message this morning I'd like to have Emily put on the screen Ephesians chapter 1. We have that, Emily? Did I remember to give you that? Okay, I couldn't remember. 
And I don't want you to close your eyes. I just want you to read the words to, as I read them. In fact, why don't, we, why don't we read them together as a prayer? I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, let's read it together, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what it is to hope to, the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do you remember what the scripture says Jesus is doing right now as he's seated at the right hand of the Father? Interceding. In his ability as God, he's interceding. And right now, he's saying all of our names together at the same time. Knowing exactly what we need to bring him back into focus. We want to receive the Lord's table this morning. And I was thinking about, as we get ready for communion, I was thinking about how interesting it is that Jesus used the pictures of body and blood. Anybody in this room have bodies that are not decaying? Anybody figured out how to make your body indestructible? Anybody here trying to pretend like your body's not destructible? Jesus breaks the bread and he says, this is my body, broken for you. So that one day we all have these bodies that are not destructible. And then when our heart stops, what, start, what stops flowing through our body? The blood. The blood stops flowing. But when our, I, I don't mean to be morbid everybody this morning, but it feels like I am, but I, just the reality that just the reality that, you know, when our hearts stop, there's still a blood that flows. It may not be the blood that keeps his body pumping and moving, but there's still a blood that flows because it's not the end of the matter. It's not the end of the matter. And so I'd like us to pray, and then we'll get ready to receive communion together. Father, we thank you for the fact that Jesus went to the cross and let his body be completely broken down and let every drop of blood spill so that he would come to a place of death. But then the good news, Lord, is that that was not the end of the matter because we know that even though there was death, there was resurrection. And Lord, all of us are on the same pathway. We are all embracing our cross. 
but it's not the end of the matter. So whether it's when we wake up in the morning, whether it's when we face a situation in our lives, whether it, when it's the day we come to the end of our days, we ask that you would give us Jesus and give us the power of the resurrection and secure in us our sense of comfort and identity and security because of our relationship with Jesus. Amen. So we get ready to leave today. Just hold out your hands to receive the blessing of these words and the Lord's blessing. From Colossians chapter 3, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are, we are all to yearn for everything that is above. For that's where Jesus sits, enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ Himself is seen for who He really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with Him in His glory. May He turn His face toward you and give you grace. And may you see the countenance of His joy as He looks at you. And may He give you peace. Go in the grace and peace of Christ. Amen.